Welcome back to Unladylike. I'm Kristen, and we are here for another edition of Ask Unladylike, where I open up the mailbag and the DMs to answer your questions that Google, well, Google will try, but I, I don't I don't recommend it. And before we get to this week's set of brand new, sparkling, dazzling, and yes, enraging questions, I'm already coming in hot thinking about one of them in particular. I wanted to share a fun fact follow-up from last Ask Unladylike, where we talked about wedding culture, and engagement rings. And Unlady Natasha shared, in Brazil, I'm half Brazilian, both the man and the woman get engagement rings. They wear them on their right hands while engaged, then symbolically transfer them to the left hands at the wedding. So it's common for rings to be the simple plain gold band that we think of in the U.S. as the man's wedding ring. Because of the influence of U.S. culture, though, this tradition is changing and engagement rings of the American genre are becoming more popular. Brazil is a very sexist country, but this is quite an egalitarian tradition. And I love that fact from Natasha, except it's just another example of of U.S. culture ruining things. I mean, come on. What what a beautiful, simple tradition of like, hey, you know what? You're going to get a simple band. You're going to get a simple band. We don't have to worry about transporting them to the wedding. Something's going to get lost. No, you're already going to be wearing them. And then you just change the ring over to the other hand. And you don't have to feel pressured to spend a bazillion dollars on a rock. Ah, Brazil, come on. Don't be like us, please. Doesn't the world know at this point that you don't want to (laughs) be like us? To put it in wedding terms, I mean, just say I don't. Just say I don't. And I do versus I don't actually brings us perfectly into our very first advice question of the episode. Kelly writes, I have a question about a friend who had planned to come stay with us for a week and did not disclose in advance that she was unvaccinated. We didn't think to ask because she is the only friend we have who has chosen not to be vaccinated and we have a baby. So we thought that we should ask her directly, but it just occurred to us to ask like a week before she arrived. And unfortunately, we couldn't let her stay with us because we were not comfortable with exposing my baby to someone who was unvaccinated and would have been traveling by airplane to come here. When she arrived, she had made other plans to stay with other people in the area. We did end up going on a hike with her and it was very awkward. And our relationship has really fizzled since then. We've had no contact, essentially. I reached out by text a couple of times. I was really mad about the whole situation and that she would endanger the health and safety of our family like that. And I don't know how she feels because she has not reciprocated or responded to my calls or to the few texts that I sent her. I feel like I want to write her a letter. I don't know. 
I'm looking for some guidance and was wondering if you could help me puzzle this out a little bit and maybe the best way to go about this. She's a dear friend. She was an officiant at our wedding, a very close friend of both my husband and I, and I'm really feeling the void of her friendship. And although I will always disagree with her choice to be unvaccinated, since we don't live in the same city, I'm not sure that it needs to be a problem for our friendship. (laughs) This was, I feel like, such a hot, hot, hot debate in 2021 and has cooled off somewhat this year. But Kelly's question really grabbed my attention because it made me wonder, like, oh, yeah, like, what, what are the friendships like? that have gone through the vaccination divide. And there was a widely publicized survey last year which found that one in seven Americans said they would end a friendship over vaccination status. And I have a feeling that all of us probably know someone, or maybe we have been the person who has either threatened to end a friendship or a family relationship uh, or has completely cut off ties because because that person was unvaccinated. And what I don't know from Kelly is whether there was any conversation at all about why your friend is unvaccinated. Because a question for the group, back to you all on ladies, is whether there is a difference, okay, just go with me here, between someone who is unvaccinated and someone who is anti-vax. Obviously, anti-vaxxers are going to be unvaccinated, but not every unvaccinated person is going to be an anti-vaxxer. Because there are also health reasons, for just one instance, that a person might not want to or might not be able to get vaccinated. Obviously, that at least didn't come up with Kelly and her friend. And I ask, though, about the distinction between unvaccinated and anti-vax, not because I am some anti-vax apologist. Listen, I am a head-to-toe, fully Pfizered, boosted and blessed unlady over here. But, (laughs) Kelly, from what I hear, you don't want this friendship to end over the vaccination. And especially now that pandemic threats, like the, the immediate threat, has diminished for the general public, I would say. Listen, I'm not. I'm. I'm not Anthony Fauci. All right, don't don't alert this. Don't send the CDC on me, okay? But in this current semi-post pandemic-ish moment, is there more room for some nuance here in terms of these? these friendships that clearly hit a wall in the thick of things. And now what? Because I would guess that there are plenty of Kellys out there who had the vaccine 
disagreement with a friend. It caused a major rift. Now things are opening back up. And you miss your friend. And maybe you're asking yourself like, oh, shit. Well, was it wrong to have potentially ended this whole relationship because of a vaccine? And I cannot give a blanket answer for that. Again, because there are going to be different reasons why some people are not vaccinated. And if you are a good friend and a close friend, I would hope, Kelly, that you all had some kind of a conversation around her reasons for not being vaccinated. And I'm honestly not. (laughs) And I'll play a little bit of devil's advocate on your friend's side because I got to tell you, Kelly, you say in the email that you and your husband didn't even think to ask her about uh, the vaccine because it turns out she's the only one of your friends who's unvaccinated. Now, Kelly, I'm also, I don't, I don't know that you can maybe know that for sure. But if you are the person who is inviting someone into your home to spend time and meet your new baby, it's your responsibility to make sure that that person is safe to come in to your home and be around your kid. Your friend, like it or not, whether it sucks or not, is not living for your new baby. And could there be a chance that your friend thinks that you think she is just recklessly out here catching COVID and coming to bring it to your your child, which I'm sure she is not. Like, I, I think that there is just a lot of unspoken tension happening here. And maybe she needed to cool off. Maybe you needed to cool off. Clearly, y'all were not getting through to each other whenever you saw each other in person. But short story long, if you want this friend in your life and you feel the void, you got to give her space to feel how she's feeling, first of all. And it sounds like she's feeling not very into you. And beyond that, you need to have the uncomfortable conversation and hash, hash things out and see what's what from there. Because until you are able to get uncomfortable with each other, I think the friendship is effectively over. And whatever you do, don't tell her that the vac- that that in that in retrospect maybe it's okay that she's unvaccinated because y'all are long distance anyway because if i were if i were having been booted from your house during a trip i don't know that i would be all that happy to hear it so kelly i understand your desire to want to keep your child safe and to keep yourself safe and your husband and i also think that it's possible to do that and Build in some room for a little extra compassion and empathy and even, yes, maybe, maybe, maybe some benefit of the doubt. The doubt to motivations, not the doubt to vaccine efficacy, folks, okay? It's not what I'm saying. So please, y'all, unladies, I am so curious to know who has experienced this, who is going through this, Hello at unladylike.co or hit me up in DMs because I know y'all are going to have thoughts and you might be mad at me.
let's get out of the pandemic hellhole and into patriarchy. Hey, one frying pan into another, shall we? Okay, this next question comes from an unlady named Lydia. Lydia writes, I'm currently a junior in college majoring in computer science. Shout out women in STEM. Hell yes. If you don't know, 80% of computer scientists are males, with females making up roughly 20% of the profession. College has shown this to be true, and I am usually in a class of 20 to 40 students, and almost every time I am the only woman. I love coding and feel mostly confident in my career choice as the topic gets me excited. But the numbers go against me. I'm worried employers won't take me as seriously or possibly reject me just because a man is equally as qualified. That being said, how do I approach this field with confidence? How do I go into this career knowing there is a huge wage gap, I may be underappreciated, and I am significantly less likely to advance in my career than men? The closer I get to graduation, the more anxious I get about my degree choice. Oh, Lydia! Okay, first of all, I just want to validate your feelings and anxieties and what-ifs. You are on the precipice of this major transition in your life and questioning all of these things is understandable and healthy and <laughs> and probably you might just be a little worn out from three years of college outnumbered by all those computer science dudes. So I feel you, Lydia. I feel you so hard. And I don't mean to sound glib, but when it comes to those very real sexist patterns in the workplace, yes, it very much applies to computer science and most of the STEM fields, but it's also kind of everywhere. <laughs> even, even in female-dominated industries, like, say, social work, quote-unquote, pink-collar jobs, men still tend to get promoted and paid more than women. So some of this is fundamental, baked-in, patriarchal sexism through and through, and now might also be a great time for some kind of anti-capitalist awakening because whatever you do, please just do not, do not start working for a company that calls itself a family. They are not your family. And take Amy Poehler's advice instead and treat your job like a bad boyfriend because he's not thinking about you as much as you are thinking about him. <laughs> And that is, that's really just triggering way too many memories for me in this very moment. Now, Lydia, your core question was, how do I approach this field with confidence? And that word confidence really jumps out because in the aughts and 2010s and the girl boss feminism of it all, the lean in era 
There was so much conversation, and frankly still is, about the gender gap in confidence. That if only women walked into male-dominated workplaces with as much confidence as men, if we just projected, kind of fake it till we make it, then that can push us ahead and break all of the glass ceilings, hopefully with gloves on so we don't cut the shit out of our hands. And be careful to not take on too much of that kind of girl boss feminism. The whole bootstrapping, you can do it, hustle, 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 like it's all in you, a very individualist approach, especially to careers and jobs. Because again, a lot of these issues are institutional. And we're also talking right now about gender in a vacuum. I mean, there are, there are all sorts of identity layers to this that can complicate that math and those odds that you're seeing stacked up against you. So remember, remember to not just blame yourself for feeling maybe unprepared for what's ahead because you sound to me, Lydia, like someone who is kind of clear-eyed going in saying, hey, I really love to do this and I know it's probably going to be challenging because there is a a lot of bullshit that I'm going to probably encounter. And that is so good to know going in. It is smart to go ahead and uh, the sooner you can learn that the work world is not a meritocracy, the better. And when it comes to the confidence piece of it, get this. More recent research on gender and confidence in the workplace has found that even if women walk in, you know, projecting as much self-confidence as men, rating themselves as as confidently as men do, it does not equally transfer to power and influence in the workplace. Now, for men, the more self-confidence they project, the more that is correlated to influence. For women, the more self-confidence they project, not necessarily more influence, because you know the factor For women, that weighs more than projected or apparent self-confidence is perceived warmth. The women who have the most power and influence in these workplaces are the ones who are perceived as the nicest and the warmest and the most approachable. So, again, so Lydia, my ultimate advice to you is to reconsider whether confidence is what's missing for you. Because I think what you are seeing, what, you, what, what awareness is bubbling up in you right now, is all of the institutional bias and bullshit that is baked right into these systems. All the confidence in the world, my unlady friend, is not going to make that any easier to navigate. What will make it easier are things like seeking employers that have salary transparency, looking at places where you have diverse leadership from the top, and also be sure to talk to people, women specifically, who are entry-level. Fortunately, at this point, there are more ways that you can parse out what a supportive workplace, a more supportive workplace, a healthier workplace might look like. And things like that where there are 
clear goals, salary transparency, things like that is really what you want to look for rather than just constantly looking to yourself and us all collectively perpetuating this myth that confidence is a cure-all. Man, I'm sounding really contrary this episode, but I'm going to go with it. Oh, speaking of confidence, y'all, if, if I sound worked up now, wait till the end of this question, because Sarah wrote me a letter that has me spinning. And since we're, you know, we're having so much fun in hyper-male-dominated industries, we're going to stay in that space. But whereas Lydia is coming in entry level, Sarah, Sarah has established herself She has made it. Hell yes. But guess what, friends? (laughs) Uh, The patriarchy doesn't disappear. Here we go. Sarah writes, I work in a heavily male-dominated industry. Surprise! The craft cocktail industry. Mm. While I would never generalize all the men in my field, I've met quite a few who don't know how to deal with a woman that neither wants to fuck or mother them. And I just want, I just got to say that again, because Sarah, that is such a perfect line. I've met quite a few who don't know how to deal with a woman that neither wants to fuck or mother them. I can already hear the sounds of unladies (laughs) typing out, typing out their stories of that. Okay. I have a rather rarefied skill set and get somewhat frequent mentoring requests. This is fine. I'm happy to share my knowledge with those who are interested. What's not fine is the amount of mothering I'm expected to do. I believe mentoring is about professional development, not unconditional love and personal support. I do try my best to support my colleagues both professionally and personally, but the amount of pushback I get when I try to set personal boundaries is astounding. For instance, some of my colleagues have actually referred to me as mom. When I remind them that I'm not their mom, that I'm not anyone's mom, they tend to get really offended They object that this is coming from a place of love and respect, and I should appreciate it, but I don't. Instead of respecting my boundary, they complain about how I have hurt and rejected them. Is this just me? It can't be, right? How can I mentor without momming? Thanks for listening to my TED Talk, Sarah. Oh, Sarah, this email made me so mad. Who the fuck called you mom? Oh, God, (laughs) like, that one really sent me. And in larger corporate workplaces, women getting stuck in middle management is something that is a theme that has come up before on Ask Unladylike. And middle management is really where uh, something that I've heard called corporate mommying (laughs) tends to happen, where women get sandwiched into these support roles where they're both like managing people from below, but also having to manage all the shit that's happening from people above them. And it can kind of be 
the worst of both worlds and you often end up just cleaning up other people's messes. Hence the mommying. Now, what Sarah is describing in this far more insular craft cocktail industry world oh, sounds sounds like a microcosm of that, maybe. Um, and I am so sure, Sarah, it is not just you. And my hot take advice on this is don't mentor these dudes. Like, if someone cannot get through their heads why it is just not appropriate to call you mom, to address you as mom. They're not going to be the kind of mentees who are teachable that you want to spend your time on. Because you, Sarah, you are investing your time into them. And (laughs) I read this email over a couple of times yesterday, and I kept getting angrier and angrier. Not at you, Sarah. Not at you at all. My even hotter take is, Sarah, this is this is your time. You are giving them for free. Women with rarefied skill sets like you, Sarah. Successful women are constantly getting asked for their free time. And I tell you what, if men are asking you for your unpaid labor and emotional labor on top of that, No, no. If you want to provide professional development opportunities, maybe there is some kind of webinar, for lack of a more exciting term, that you could put together, some kind of paid course that you could set up that you can tell those guys they can go take after they pay $250 to soak up your masterclass genius. But To me, if you want to stop being their mom, stop giving them your time. Like, the the one thing that I don't know is how many of these men are lateral to you or even potentially more powerful than you in the industry where, like, these are relationships that you want to maintain for your own professional development. But if these are just people who are coming up and sucking you dry, Sarah, save yourself, mix a drink, and forget about them which I know is so much easier said than done. But, Sarah, if, if anything, I hope that my anger on your behalf <laughs> will maybe be some encouragement to reclaim your time. Reclaim your time. Because anybody who wants you to mom them needs to get a fucking grip before they find a mentor. Period. God, I'm so mad. I'm so mad! My final question slash piece of advice is are there up-and-coming women and non-binary folks who could really use some mentorship and also role modeling? Like, I think that there are, are ways like that that you can feel fulfilled in your mentoring and also help create a healthier environment in this industry. Because, again, you know, if... Fuck. You're not a mom. You're not their babysitter. I'd I say last call for those fellas. Cut them off, if you will. Those are all the cocktail puns I have. And finally, we have... A question from Letitia. Letitia writes, 
For the last year, I've been grappling with when to stop the hair dyeing process and just accept my natural salt and pepper look. At 38, I transitioned to a lighter base so my demarcation line wasn't so obvious. Now at 39, I'm considering taking the plunge and just stopping altogether. The lighter base helps, but who am I kidding? My husband and daughter say I'm too young. Society says I'm too young. But I am so sick of the three-hour, $200-plus trips to the hairdresser with roots that grow out so fast and just don't lie. Am I still dying for society, my husband, or myself? Should I start going every four weeks or just stop already? Thanks for your consideration. You're almost secretly gray listener, Letitia. Letitia, if you have not listened to last year's unladylike three-parter on hair, which includes an episode about hair color and, yes, going gray, I highly recommend you do that. And from one semi-secret salt-and-pepper gal to another, I feel you on the the back and forth. You know, before I had any grays coming in, it's so easy to say, oh my God, like I'm a feminist and why why would I keep dyeing my hair? And you know, that's the thing about feminism and aging. The older we get, the older we realize that like... <laughs> Uh, that, uh, that, it, that it can be a little more complicated than that. For me, the person who insists, well, I shouldn't say he doesn't tell me what to do with my hair because I think he knows better than that, uh, but the person who seems the most aghast every time he, he takes in my graying hair anew is my husband. Just kidding! <laughs> I would divorce him. <laughs> it's my dad. My dad, who has been fully gray as long as I can remember, and he's about a head taller than I am, so he's at just like the perfect eyeline to be able to get just like the full scope of my grays. He can see grays that I can't even see. And I swear to God, y'all, every single time I see him, he will look at me with this, it's like it frightens him. When he notices, like, the light catches it, and he's like, oh, my God, you're, you're so gray. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. If I have, I'm, I'm sorry to repeat myself. Um, all of this to say, that kind of pressure is real. Like, even though I can laugh about it and, like, yeah, it's my dad, and it, it, he, he and my mom have very antiquated notions of how a, a, a woman should look at the same time. I always leave, you know, checking myself in the the rearview mirror as I'm pulling out of the driveway, peeling out, <laughs> racing to leave. I'm looking at myself being like, well, do I look like a, a ghoul? Am I frightening? <laughs> in the way, you know, my, my dad seems to react. It's easy. It's easy for it to get in, get in our heads, and it's also change, and it's a different look, and there is nothing flattering about the growing out process. And Letitia, my advice to you, since you asked for it, is why not stop? Cold weather is coming up, and it's going to be winter hat season. What better time, Letitia? I mean, I don't know what kind of climate you're living in. Um, also, I could just probably assume that... <laughs> going to be unseasonably warm. 
But allegedly, winter hat weather is coming, and that could be the perfect time to quit spending that money and spending that time and going back and forth and just finally give yourself the chance to find out, A, what your hair looks like as it grows out, because it might be a more flattering pattern of gray than you realize, and maybe gives you a little bit of room to feel more comfortable in your gray space and your vibrant, your gray vibrancy before springtime rolls around and it's time to take that wool hat off and show the world your silver crown. Although, who knows? New Year's might come and you say, I hate this and I want to dye it back. And the thing is, Letitia, that's also fine too. But I think you want to find out what it's like not dyeing it. And I think you should give yourself a chance. And if your husband and your daughter keep ragging you for it, you need to set up a sexism jar. It's like a swear jar, but it's for any time they tell you that you are too this or too that to do whatever with your hair, they have to go and put $75 in the sexism jar. Um, And yes, your child included, uh, so she might need to get a job and maybe they will learn to keep their opinions to themselves. And also, you know, for your daughter, it could be a college savings fund. Okay, and ladies, that is all of my advice. And now it's time for yours. Are you someone who has gone through the vaccination friendship breakup and you have advice for Kelly? Or maybe you are an unlady in STEM. Maybe you are an unlady in comp sci specifically who might have some words of wisdom for our listener Lydia or any other. And I would also love, love, love to hear from any unladies in the craft cocktail or wine and bev industry who might be able to speak more directly to the mom of it all. I would love to know any of your thoughts, your hot tips, your brilliant insights. You can email the show at hello at unladylike.co. You can also DM me at unladylike media on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and yes, a little place called TikTok. And if you love Unladylike and want to support the show, there are two ways that you can do that. You can first, please, please, please go on to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give Unladylike five stars. Rate and review us. It makes a huge difference for people finding the show. I cannot emphasize that enough. Please go give me, give me your five stars. Give me your kind comments. Actually, you don't even have to leave a review, I don't think. You can just say five stars and I'm out of here. If you want more Unladylike in your ears for weekly bonus episodes, full interviews with our guests, and other fun stuff, Join the Unladylike Patreon for $5 each month. Just $5. Go to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia. Unladylike is a Starburns audio production written and executive produced by me, Kristen Conger. Rebecca Steinberg is our senior producer. Catherine Caligori is our associate producer. Engineering and post-production is by Ali Naku. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next time... Who the fuck? Co-
called you mom. Star Bands Audio, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.